I want to begin the sermon this morning telling you a story about a man whose nickname is probably many people at work called him Bell, but his life didn't go quite the way he had planned. In fact, even his nickname seemed out of place for him. Much of Bell's life could be considered as mundane or even unfortunate. His life started well. He was born into a rather affluent family, and his mom and dad knew God and loved God. It looked like everything would go just the way one would expect. Tragedy first struck when his parents were killed during a war when he was a teen. Being from the Middle East, a little different than what it is here, he was taken prisoner and his nation was left in tatters. He was extremely talented, but his life choices now were out of his control. He didn't get to choose what his occupation was going to be or what he would get to do the rest of his life. Bell worked most of his life doing the mind-numbing government bureaucracy work. It wasn't what he had thought he would do. His co-workers were backstabbers. He worked in a government department that was infested with paganism and even sorcery. Bell spent his entire life working for people who had destroyed his hometown. Very possibly his first days on the job involved a medical procedure that ruined any chance of him ever having a family. Bell's life ended before he could ever return home. He spent his entire life making his enemies successful. Let me ask you a question. Did Bell's life work matter? Did it really matter what he did? I think some of us can relate to him this morning as we think about sometimes jobs that we don't want to be doing or career changes that have taken place that have taken us now in a direction we didn't want to go. Today we are going to hear God's word concerning work and labor. Actually, there's much that could be said. I've spent a good chunk of the week just trying to grasp all that God says about labor is there a difference between secular and sacred work? Is one more valuable than another? Are some of us stuck doing something that will really never matter for eternity? Let's pray together. Our Father, as we look at your word this morning, we ask for several things. We ask that you would help us to be able to focus on your word we ask that the distractions that may come would not distract us away from what you're wanting to teach us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be pleased and free to work in our lives. We ask that you would even now cleanse us so that as we hear your word, yet more cleansing could take place that we might enjoy that blessed walk of an undefiled person. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Labor Day is often celebrated with little thought for what we're celebrating. It's the weekend to get the boat out of the water, to close up the lake house and winterize everything. Possibly it's the last getaway before fall and winter settle in. Maybe it's the much needed break from working hard right now. For some, it marks the beginning of school. The first Labor Day holiday was celebrated on Tuesday, September 5th, 1882 in New York City. It was supposed to celebrate, according to the website, the social and economic achievements of American workers. To kind of put things in perspective, I did a little research just to see what did people earn back then. In 1868, the average wage for a day's work during harvest was two dollars and twenty cents that was if you didn't accept room and board if you took room and board they take fifty cents off off season in fact that was 1868 so right after the civil war by 1894 that wage had dropped from two dollars and twenty cents to a dollar thirteen cents a day without room and board. With room and board, take 50 cents off that. On the other side of the picture, at the same time, were the titans, what's known as the titans of industry, the ones whose houses were fit for royalty. John D. Rockefeller was amassing a fortune of nearly $900 million in our money today. That's $418 billion in 219 currency. He personally was 3% of the entire U.S. GDP. Let that settle in. One person was 3% of the entire gross domestic product. Now, when you're earning 81 cents and another person is making 3% of the entire U.S. gross domestic product, how can your work matter? You're a nothing, a no one. You know, this has been a very difficult year. Many have lost their jobs. Many have changed jobs. Many have lost income. Many have lost titles at their work. We each wrestle with significance, either because of something. Uh, we want our lives to matter. There's usually two ways that we do that. Either we try to do something that will make us impact the world. You've got a Mother Teresa. You've got a Gandhi who everyone looks to and they go, wow, what, a, what an incredible person. Or some, because of their wealth, are immediately thought of as really making a difference. You've got the Gates and the Buffets and the Zuckerbergs. There's the Jeff... Uh, Bezos is the first person in modern history to accumulate a fortune of over $200 billion. And then there's me. Do I really matter when you think about that? There's you. Do you really matter? 
So this morning, I want us to think about this. How does God look at life? Is there a difference between secular and sacred work? Is one more valuable than the other? Have I been incredibly blessed to be vocationally in ministry for 35 years? Was my year wasted when I was a bus driver and not a pastor? Was that a throwaway year in my life? How about my high school and my college years when I cut grass for a living? Did that matter? Was I just marking time until I went into the ministry? I want you to think this morning because what we're talking about really is important. And what we're really going to see is, I'm hoping today we'll get a fresh view of our God. And we'll get a fresh view of life that will infuse us with life today. So how about you? Should you quit your job and go into full-time Christian service so that you can matter? Sometimes we've gotten that impression that really, yeah, you got a good job, but really if you wanted to if you really want your life to matter, you really need to go into full-time ministry. Let me ask you this, would your life matter more if you did? So let's back up and let's look at God's purpose for your life. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We begin at the book of beginnings because we look at the firsts. We try to understand what God is saying. And what I want you to notice here is what God says about you and about me and about all people. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth on the earth. Do you know God said he made us to be his image bearers? You and I today are God's image bearers. Well, obviously it's not physical because all of us are unique. All of us are different. All of us look like our own selves. We don't look like each other. God doesn't even have a body, so it can't be that we were made physically in his image. But what do we have that God did that makes us like him? We have a spiritual side of us. We have an intellectual side of us, and we have a moral likeness to God. That's why God gives us the things that he's given us, so that we could get to be like him and we could be his image bearer. Second thing I want you to know is, not only did God make you in his image, but I want to remind you of this. God gave a job to do and a work schedule in which to do it. You see, when we work, we bear the image of God who worked and works 
and continually works in our behalf. Think about the job that he gave us. He said, first of all, he said, I want you to, look with me, he says, I want you to have dominion, and then later he'll put it back in the list again later. So let's start with the first one there in 28 when he says, be fruitful. Literally, it means I want you to bear fruit. And then he says, I want you to multiply. I want you to have many. Do you know we reflect the image of God when we reproduce and when we fill the earth with people? When we multiply. You see, that's an honorable thing. And yet we're seeing in our nation today what Satan has deceived people into thinking that children are a bad thing. That if you don't want a child, that really it's, it's no different than anything else. If, you're, if it's not convenient, then just discard the child. But the sad part is the lie that we're believing is we're missing part of the blessing of getting to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ, of God. When we have children, we get to demonstrate, we get to bring glory and focus on God. But then what else does he say? He says, replenish, fill the earth. Was he repeating himself again? Was he just saying, now fill the earth with more people? I don't believe so. You see, God looked at everything he had created and it was good. And he looked at everything at the end of creation. He said it was very good. But then what did he tell man should do? He said man should replenish or fill the earth. What was man's job? Man got to take what God had given him and then develop it to do more with it. It's like when you get a house. When we bought a house, we were so excited, but we moved into the house. And you know what we did when we moved into the house? We began putting things up on the walls. We brought in furniture. We began looking at things that would even make it more enjoyable, and we just keep, we keep working on it. And some things we look at and we go, okay, not this year, but next year, we're going to do this. Now, what was it? Was it that the house was a bad house? Absolutely not. We were given the opportunity to take that house and replenish it. We were given that house to fill it. And do you know what God's design was for you? Pre-sin, pre-fall, God said, I want you to enjoy this earth. I want you to take this earth, and I want you to be creative with this earth, just as I have been, and I want you to develop this earth. I want you to work. And I want you to enjoy that work. Then what did he say? He said, I want you to subdue it, which means I want you to take this earth and I want you to organize it. My wife and I were talking about this and how everyone likes their houses differently. She likes to organize even like can labels in, in her storage area. She likes it to be neat and orderly. And I'm, I'm thrilled for that. You know, I enjoy her dominion of the house. I enjoy her subduing our house. In fact, often as a pastor, when I work with people, sometimes people's lives are pretty messy. 
but this is what God's called me to do. I love what I do, but I'm always so thankful that I could leave someone's messy life and come back and have a little place in my world that is put together so that then I can go back out and I can continue to subdue the earth. I can continue to help organize it. And you know, in that same way, God has made every one of us you know, he's given us a job to do. He said, here's this earth. I want you to take this earth. I want you to use this earth. I've given you all the resources you're going to need. Now be creative. Make something fun out of this. Enjoy this. Then he gave us a schedule because he said, you know, do your job, but take time to rest. Do your job. It doesn't all have to be done today. I worked for a lady when I was in seminary, an older lady, and basically I would do whatever she told me to do because she paid very well. And I had a dating habit at that point named Cindy. And so my goal was I could earn money and I would get there and the lady would say, all right, I want you to make my bed. Yes, ma'am. She'd say, but I want you to make it this special way. I said, okay, tell me how to do it. She said, I want hospital corners. I said, fine, whatever that is. And she would teach me how to do it. And then she would expect me to do it. And you know what? Her house was so much fun to be in. It wasn't a very big house, but it was very organized. You see, she would say, get out and work. But then what she would tell me is sometimes I would be coming in from carrying her groceries. And she would say, that's a lazy man's load. And I would look and I was like carrying the whole car load in. And I would say, lazy man's load? I couldn't put another thing on. She goes, yeah, I know. She said, you can make two trips. She said, why do you overstrain yourself? Take a break. It's a lazy man's load. Make two trips rather than one. What she was telling me was the same thing that God is saying. Work, but take a break. Do your job, but it doesn't have to be done today. And God says, when you work, you reflect my glory. You see, my goal today is so often in our world, we are so disappointed with the way work is and maybe the job we have. We live in an incredible nation where many people literally can say, what do I like to do? And we'll take tests and say, how am I gifted? And we go through all these different, maybe the Taylor Johnson test or whatever you've taken, and you go, yep, here's me, that's not me, this is me, this is not me, this is what I ought to be doing. What an incredible nation that we get to do that. But you know, that's not the way it is everywhere in the world. You go to Syria today, you don't get to choose what you're going to do. There are many places you're glad to have a job, and it doesn't matter how smart you are. I was reading one man this week was made the statement, he said, you know, he said, probably the greatest musicians in the whole world never played music. The greatest mathematicians never did math. because they didn't live in an area where they could. You see, and we, we're reading the Bible through the lens of, of our society, and we look at life, and we're disappointed, and we say, well, my 401k's done horribly this year. And people other places in the world say, I don't know what you're talking about. Are those people failures? Is it only a Gates? Is it only a Bezos that is successful? What does it take to be successful? Is your work worth what you're doing? Are you successful? 
Maybe I could use a different word. Are you significant? Do you matter? You see, God said, I want you to bear my image. But then God said, I want you to bring glory to me. Let's go to Ephesians. It's a book that we've spent quite a bit of time in as a church. Ephesians chapter 1. And the key verses that I want you to notice about bringing glory are verses 6, 12, and 14. But if you'd let me just kind of move you into those verses so that you're understanding the context. We read in verse 3, He has blessed us with spiritual blessings. He has chosen us to be holy and without blame. He has predestined us to be mature so that we, look at verse 6, would be to the praise of the glory of His grace. You see, God did all those things for us. He gave us spiritual blessings. He chose us that we could be holy and without blame. He predestinated us to be mature. In other words, God did all this for us. Why? So that people would look at Him and would say, look at God's grace. It would bring glory. It would focus on God's grace. What you see today, if you see anything that's good, it ought to cause you to say, what a gracious God. And that's the same way it is in every one of our lives. You are a testimony of God's grace. Now, look at verse 12, and as I lead up to that, let me remind you, he's given us an inheritance and predestined us Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Look at verse 14, and here's what it leads us into. He has given us the Holy Spirit living within us, verse 14, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. Everything about our lives is about God. It's about imitating our parent. God made us so that we could be reflections of him. You know, the greatest compliment I received was when people said I reminded, that I reminded them of my parents. That, that was pretty cool. And the greatest joy I have is when people say my children remind me, remind them of me. My mini-me. My little me. Do you know, that's exactly what each of us are to God. We are his mini-me's. We are to draw attention to our parents. You know, some of you maybe grew up in a more structured church setting and you learned the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Some have, some haven't. The very first of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And what that is, is a catechism is something, it's, it's a teaching that allows you to learn important things you need to know. You know, the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? You know what the answer is? The children were supposed to respond, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That sure doesn't fit into the American model that we have today. 
What verses do those come from? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now, so often I focus on the last part of that, of whatever you're doing, bring glory to God. Could I focus on the first part of that for just a minute? Is there anything more mundane than eating and drinking? Like everybody does that. You have to. And he says, if you're just eating and drinking or whatever the mind-numbing, mundane thing of life that you are doing is, bring glory to God. Bring glory to God. Romans chapter 11, verse 16, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. What's that telling us? Everything we have is from him, and everything we're able to do is through him, and everything we do is to him. You see, whatever your job is, it's valuable. You have significance because what you do is you are bringing glory to God. Psalm 73, verses 24 through 26. Thou wilt show me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? What about heaven is heaven? It's not the streets of gold. It's not the pearly gates. It's God. You see, my whole life is to bring glory to God. And then I get to be with him forever. He made me to be a mini-me. He made me to be just a little. There's no way my life can really reflect who God is, but I could give just a portion. I can give just a glimmer of what God is like to the people around me. There is none upon the earth that I desire, but thee my flesh and my heart faileth. But God is, my, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. John 17, Jesus speaking, And the glory which thou gavest me, speaking to the Father, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Father, I will that they, that they also, whom thou hast given to me, be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This takes just a little bit of side trail. This is something you just think about later. Do you ever notice that God never competes with himself? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all work together and when any one of them accomplishes something, they've all accomplished something. Do you know that's the way he designed us to be? And the church gets a chance to show a redeemed view of that. I get to stand up in front right now. Brother Gary got to stand up in front. Most of you won't get to stand up in front today. But each of us are a part of the whole. If Brother Gary was successful, we were all successful. If I'm successful in giving God's word out, we were all successful today. If Luke is successful at the soundboard today, we're all successful today. There's not a competition. We're a body. And the body works together for the body's good.
You see, our work on earth is for one purpose. That is to bring glory to God. Isaiah 43, verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back, bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, verse 7, even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created them, wait for it, for my glory. Every one of you is special. You are designed to show the glory of God. Not generic glory of God, but to really point people to who God is. Our lives are not about us. You know, Satan has stolen so many gifts from God. He's stolen the gift of intimacy and turned it into something that is pornographic. But remember, who's the one who gave intimacy? God did. And he said it was very good. What about work? Who came up with the concept of work? God did. And it was very good. But Satan has stolen that. Satan has now made you believe that who you are is attached to your work and your work is all about you. No, my work is all about God. If I bring glory to him today, I've been successful. I thought it was interesting with John D. Rockefeller John, from everything I've read, was a believer. Now, we may disagree with certain things that he did, but it was interesting. They said, you know, he, um, he actually was Baptist. And in his church, sometimes he taught Sunday school. Sometimes he did plumbing. And they said sometimes he was the janitor. Were any of those more important than the other? Not if he did it to bring glory to God. You see, we work so hard to find significance, yet we've missed the point. We work to bring glory to God. Whatever your job is, it doesn't matter. We love being creative. Why do we like to do things? Why do we like to paint things? Why do we like to stand back and observe things? Why do we like to see a spreadsheet come together? Why do we like to see a successful operation? Why do, because it brings glory to God, it demonstrates that we are fulfilling the very thing God asked us to do. Even the mundane things like eating, drinking, and sleeping. You can do that for the glory of God. Notice the difference. Work was cursed. But work is not a curse. You see the difference? Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Now the work that they were already doing was going to become very hard. There were going to be thorns and thistles. There were going to be difficult people in the office. There were going to be days the computer crashes. There were going to, you see, there were going to be hard days now because of the fall. And what's going to happen is when Jesus comes back and the word and the world is purged and we have a new world, it's not that everything is destroyed and this becomes obliterated, but all the evil, all the sin will be removed and it will be put back and we're going to work again and there will not be any thorns or thistles. There will not be any bad days. I know you're thinking about 1 Peter where it talks about the heat, but it's the, it's the purging of that heat that gets rid of the evil. And God starts everything back to us new again. You see, our job is to reflect. Your job is to reflect. Our job is to reflect a one-of-a-kind facet of God's glory. 
I can't point to God's glory in the same way that Brother Micah can. You see, he's a unique person, or Teresa. And I could go each through, each through with one of you. You see, every one of you is a unique facet. You remember what a facet does in a diamond ring? All those different facets, it, the light hits it, and as it reflects out, you get all kind of different brilliances. You see, the more people that are on this earth, the more people that bring glory to God. That's why God said, be fruitful and multiply. And what's Satan's goal? He doesn't want any more than there absolutely has to be to bring glory to God. You see, this is all about God. It's, it's about a wonderful God, a God who created, a God who said, I love you. And I've made all this, and now I want you to go out, and I want you to use it. Work was cursed. Work is not a curse. Just like Jesus Christ was cursed when he was on the tree. But was Jesus Christ a curse? No, he was the blessing. A man from many, many, many years ago, a guy named Thomas Aquinas, I thought wrote this very interestingly. He said, it would take an infinite number of human beings to mirror back the infinite facets of the Godhead. Each person reflects only a small but beautiful part of the whole. When I look out, every one of you is a unique special facet of God. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Each person is a tiny but unique facet of my glory. We could go so many different directions with just that thought, couldn't we? When we think about what our nation is doing with abortion, when we think about what our nation is doing with people, when we think about the racial divides that are going on, when really all of us are the same, a little different pigment, a little more color, a little less color, that's really about it. A little hair, a little less hair, that's about it. We're all unique for God's glory. So I have to come to this thought, and that is, does my life matter? And here's the challenge for you. Here's a thought. Your labor is shaping or completing this world. Your load of laundry, your project around the house, your spreadsheet is bringing order and filling the earth. It matters because it brings glory to God, not because anyone else says, wow, what an incredible job you do. You are shaping eternity. It's hard to imagine that my mundane things are shaping eternity, but that's how God puts it. And I want you to remember this, God rewards. Now what does he reward? Just those that are in Christian service? Listen to Colossians chapter 3. In fact, if you're still in Ephesians, just go over a couple pages and go to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 22 with me. 
And it's interesting to me who he addresses this to. He doesn't address it to the king. He doesn't address it to the mayor. He doesn't address it to a governor. He doesn't address it to the millionaire. Colossians 3.22, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye servants as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward. Do you know what he was saying? The work that a servant does has eternal significance. Because the servant, the person who didn't want to be there, was working a job he didn't want to do. He was not free to go anywhere else. It wasn't his choice. And God says, do it as unto me. And you'll have your reward. Are you beginning to see what God's telling us? Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Just turn back a few pages to where we were. Ephesians 6, 5. Again, Paul writing to the servants. He says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Why should a servant serve a person that is so mean and wicked and has bought them? Because you're doing it for the Lord. You're serving the Lord. Verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of, of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, for with good, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. You see, whatever your job is here on earth, that's not the issue. The issue is, what are you doing with your job? It's not your job. It's what you're doing with your job. All right, you say, okay. So really, how important is this? Let, let's just be practical here, Pastor. So like... You're talking doing laundry, you're talking all the little jobs, you're talking putting band-aids on boo-boos. Is that really what you're talking? Does my life as a mom matter? Well, Matthew 10, 42 says, And whatsoever and whosoever shall give a drink to one of these little ones, a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You mean the little kid on the corner with the lemonade stand? Yeah. I am so glad that we have a day where we honor labor. But like I said, even that, I'm afraid we have lost the point. There is not, there's not a position or a title that makes what you do valuable. It's the attitude in which you do it. No matter what you do has reward, but notice, do your work in singleness of heart. Do it wholeheartedly. It's your attitude in doing the work that matters. If you want credit, do it with a good attitude. You children, you know, your parents say, fix your attitude. 
Well, it may be more pleasant for your parents right now, but in reality, you know what they're doing? They're saying, let me help you. I want you to get credit in eternity for what you're doing. If you're, if you're going to have to clean your room, you may as well get credit for it. If you're going to sweep the floor in the kitchen, you may as well get credit for it, right? You may as well get God's blessing for that rather than grumbling the whole time about it. He says, be zealously affected in a good thing. Put your whole heart into it. Put your back into it. Make it happen. The only true measure of significance is how much something is valued by God. What God values will last for eternity. Does God value work? Could we maybe focus in a little bit more? Does God value your work? Is what, I'm, is what I do by standing in front of you on Sunday morning more valuable than what you're going to do on Tuesday morning? Was God more impressed with my pastoral work than my bus driving work? We play these games of significance, don't we? I mean, you listen to, my dad's better than your dad. Oh, yeah, well, my dad can do this, my dad can do this. Yeah, well, my dad can, my dad can hit a bird in the air with an arrow. Oh, yeah, well, my dad's a missionary. So there, conversation done, right? Most important. We look at fame or fortune, maybe both, as markers of success. And I just want to come back to what I mentioned earlier. The true measure of significance is how much something is valued by God. What God values will last for eternity. I mentioned this earlier, but Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 put to rest the idea of more importance than someone else and talked about teamwork. So what's more important, the eye or the hand? The foot or the mouth? The head or the torso? And what did, what did he say? God's put us all together. Now, you may have really good abilities and you may never get the opportunity to use those abilities in this sinful world. Do what you can do with what you have for the glory of God. And Paul says, look, if you're a slave and you can be free, great, be free. But if you can't be, don't think that your life is wasted. How about something really practical? He says, children, obey your parents as if to the Lord. Do you know you can obey parents that maybe aren't always nice and bring glory to God? Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wife. Serve one another as to the Lord. Eat your breakfast as to the Lord. It's the focus. All of life has eternal significance and reward if we do it to bring glory to the Lord. One study shows 
that 95% of all Christians in the world earn their living in regular, everyday, can we use the term marketplace jobs, marketplace ministry. Should we feel guilty about that? Is it that we're all just selfish and self-centered and we're just all money-grubbing people and that's the reason why we're not all on the mission field serving the Lord? Sadly, that's been presented that way sometimes. That your work is insignificant. My work, (laughs) now I'm pretty important around here, folks, but the rest of you, I'm sorry, you missed out. And that's not what the scripture teaches. You know, the first job said nothing about the church, said nothing about the pastor. It said, I want you to have a family, have lots of kids, because every child is an opportunity to bring glory to God. I want you to take the resources here on earth and do something good with it. You remember how he talks about the talents? He said, this guy got five, this guy got two, this guy gets one. Use whatever you've got. And what does he say? Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. But I come back to, what about the people? They don't even have a choice in this world. They can't choose to say, well, I'm going to be a missionary. They're doing good just to eat. Are they not valuable? Is God not going to be righteous with them? How about the little unnamed servant girl who her one cameo snippet in the, in the story of life was she told her mistress, the lady she was serving, because she had been captured, and she was a little servant girl, and she said, Oh, I sure wish your husband would just go see the prophet. He could be healed. Was her life valuable? Did her work matter? Was she a write-off? Another throwaway kid. I began telling the somewhat dreary story of the man whose nickname at work was Bell. Bell lived into his late 80s and 90s, making his enemies successful. Did his life matter? You probably know him better by his previous name. His name was Daniel. Was his life valuable? Probably only 10% of his life is what we see recorded in the book of Daniel. 90% of his life was day in, day out, backstabbing, working in the office, watching his back. Did his life matter? Of course it did. Could I say today, I honor each of you. I honor the work you do. I honor the fact that you, in your unique way, work to give glory to God. No one else can do that. Thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the blessing you are to me. Why are you here? Why am I here? 
Does what you do matter? Those are the big questions that are going to direct our lives, even this week. Scripture splashes light on our path for this and directs us to realize work is honorable. Work matters. Our God measures man by a standard divine. For he sees underneath every outward design. His gaze goes far deeper to things that endure. He studies the heart, every thought, every desire. God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. Happy Labor Day.